0: This Major Spoilers podcast goes out to Ryan Desha from Vancouver, not to be confused with Dennis DeYoung, lead singer of Sticks. This one's for you, Ryan, and also Dennis, if only for Desert Moon. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't
1: read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans.
0: In this issue, Peter Parker says, take my wife, please. But does Satan have second thoughts? And Thor, I'm so Thor I can hardly stand anymore. Plus, Luke Cage has steel hard skin, but his cardiac tissue is made of masking tape. And Hyperion, Hyperion. You border on the Adriatic. Plus no Rodrigo, which means Stephen and I have to play nice of our own accord. Ah. And who would put their tongue on Beetle Bailey? Then, in the year 1987, NASA launched the last of America's deep space probes. A lone astronaut, Captain William Buck Rogers, was to experience cosmic forces beyond comprehension. In a freak mishap, his life support systems were frozen. By temperatures beyond imagination ranger 3 was blown out of its planned trajectory into an orbit one thousand times more vast an orbit which was an orbit which does mother an orbit which was to return buck rogers to earth 500 years later where steven promptly spoiled the future for him bastard <laughs> all this and more as the major spoilers podcast hits the air
2: Hey
1: everyone, yeah. welcome to another exciting issue of the Major Spoilers podcast. Yes, we are Rodrigo Less again this <sighs> week. Not you know, to be confused with Legoless. Rodrigo Less.
0: Yeah, Le- Legoless is what you are when, when you were hit by a train. No, yes. wait. <laughs> Legoless is what that guy was in that one uh, video for Metallica. He was also armoless.
1: <laughs> hey Matthew, do you know what you call a cow without any legs? What?
0: Ground beef. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hey, Steven, you know what you call a dog without any legs? What? I, it doesn't matter. He doesn't come anyway.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, we've got a lot of, of comic book talk to talk about this week and not lame jokes from
0: third grade. Um, I point of order. I believe <laughs> lame jokes from third grade are as important to this show as <laughs> comic book talk. Hey, did you hear about uh, the new Thor movie?
1: Yeah, this is really interesting. Uh, Joe Casada was talking with MTV this past week about the upcoming Thor movie that's being directed by Kenneth Branagh, and he had an interesting quote. He's been in some meetings, and he says, it's going to be pretty epic, and regardless of what you think it's it's going to be, it's going to surprise people. It's an interesting piece for a superhero movie. It's going to change the conventions of a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. So the question, Matthew, is, what about this movie will change the convention of the superhero movie?
0: Well, the answer is nothing. It's going to be just a superhero movie. You think? But I think it's interesting that we've come to a point now where Marvel no longer is that worried about something being quality, just that it's surprising. It's now officially, apparently, all about the swerve, all about surprising people, whether or not it's good, because he doesn't say anything. About whether or not this is going to be good. He simply says, it's not what you think it's going to be. It's going to change everything you know about a movie. Again. There, there are a lot of movies who have changed the conventions of this, of the superhero movies. Uh, namely Puma Man, which you may remember from season <laughs> three of Mystery Science Theater. And Diabolique. Diabolique. Um, other movies that changed the conventions of the superhero movie. Uh, Blank Man. Yes. Not a good movie. Dark Man. Yes. Mm-hmm not so much of a good movie. I don't know if you ever saw Alec Baldwin as the shadow. Yes. We've talked it about it. changed that the conventions of the superhero movie. Now it changed those conventions to be boy, that kind of sucked, but it did change those conventions. All in all, I really expect that they're probably going to be doing something akin to what Branagh, not Branagh, forgive me, Straczynski did when he relaunched Thor a couple of years ago and taking it in more of a classical vein. Yeah. And trying to tell a Thor story that isn't necessarily about Thor as a superhero.
1: Well, and that's what I think. You you bring Kenneth Branagh in, and you know his huge background in in Shakespeare and the classical stage, and and telling some really great Shakespeare movies on screen. I think if he brings that to Thor, which is also an ancient tale, very much like the time period in in, in the William Shakespeare stuff, not the same time period, but. Uh, in that same vein, yeah,
0: because uh, the Thor that you and I read is based on 1963, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> almost none of what Stan wrote is actual <laughs> myth. He took like the names and conventions and, and but, did fanfic. But, you know, you've seen some of the big names that have been attached to this
1: movie already and with Branagh as a director. Man, this could be an epic tale. That people look at and go, wow, this is a great piece of, of filmed literature. And not really realize that oh this is a this is a superhero tale at the same time.
0: You know what else had a great cast and a great pedigree? What's that? Harlem Knights. <laughs> I'm just saying.
1: <laughs> well, so, I'm I'm interested in this movie. I I'm, I'm I've it's piqued my interest ever since Branagh has been signed because I know he's not going to deliver the Hulk, uh, the first Ang Lee movie. Although you would have figured Ang Lee would have delivered a spectacular, stunning movie. And, it, you know, for some people it really was a good movie. Uh, I liked Jang Lee's Hulk. I, I did, too. It had a lot of the stuff from, like, the uh, late 90s Hulk cartoon as well as some other story elements thrown in. I did like it, but it, a lot of people it just was like, meh. It was uh, a good
0: movie in that it I could see it being written by Bill Mantlo and drawn by Herb Trimpey. Mm-hmm. I just saw it as a Saturday morning cartoon.
2: Well, well, whether or not this thing. is whether
1: or not this is Joe Casada just uh, spouting off trying to get people a, a, some attention, I believe
0: Casada is Portuguese for talking out his butt. Okay, uh,
1: I think it. I think it is something worth uh, worth checking out. And certainly, listeners, if you head over to the spoilers dot com website, you can check out the thread. The link is there in the show notes, and you can go and comment yourself.
2: Yay!
1: Marvel also sent out a, a series of images in the final days of 2009. The
0: final days of 2009. <laughs> Make it sound nine. so
1: epic. Dun, Marvel. Dun,
0: dun, 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 dun. There's a bunch of
1: puzzle pieces put together where they were saying 2010 is the year of Spider-Man, and by the time you got to the fourth large chunk of puzzle pieces, most of us had already figured it out, by the third one, uh, it is Peter Parker in Spider-Man costume, sans the mask, reaching out to a... Mary Jane Watson in her wedding dress.
0: Thoughts on that? Mmm, yes. I think the expectation that we are supposed to have is that whatever we didn't like about one, one more day, brand new day, is going to be overturned. Right. Whatever it was that we don't like. Right. Um, I think what they're actually going to do is tell us the story of what happened because they've always kind of hinted that something big happened between Peter and Mary Jane, Mm -hmm. even though they didn't get married, Mm -hmm. they still had a relationship and they still dated. And, you know, it's interesting to note that the Peter and Mary Jane marriage actually didn't have a whole lot of setup. Mary Jane disappeared from the book for several years, then came back. And then like two years later, bam, they're married. Mm hmm. So I'm wondering if we get to the point where basically this is telling us in the new continuity what happened instead of Amazing Spider-Man annual number 21 back in 86. Right. So which I'm all for. So
1: you don't think they're going to undo the uh undo the the Mephisto wish?
0: I mean, I, I would be surprised if they did for a couple of reasons. One, Marvel has really been sticking with their guns and saying, you know, we, we love the new Spider-Man status quo. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're trying to make it work and trying to revamp that all the villains to fit in this new paradigm. I think that the amount of trouble that they went to and the amount of money that they've spent on rebranding Spider-Man as the Spider-Man from 1973, Mm -hmm. I don't think they're going to undermine that. And I honestly think that. There aren't a lot of things if you look at Joe Quesada's reign as Marvel editor-in-chief that he's really been adamant, adamant, adamant about. Right. Two things, smoking and breaking up the marriage. Smoking and breaking up Spider-Man's marriage. And the smoking ban is still in effect. Right. And the smoking ban is probably going to remain in effect as long as Joe is Mm editor-in-chief. And I feel like if, as the editor-in-chief, he felt that they needed to go to this length it's probably going to take a new editor-in-chief, or a huge failure of the product, which, right. let's face it, isn't happening,
1: Yeah, for that
0: to be overturned.
1: Right. Uh, Wintermute made a comment. Well, first of all, do you notice anything about the art? I mean, uh, in the lower right-hand quadrant, we've got the lizard. And man, that's a pretty excellent rendition of the lizard. He doesn't look like a man with a crocodile head. He looks lizardy.
0: And See, the I, lizard always kind of looked like the Gorn, but that's because I really like the uh, <laughs> yeah. Mego action figure. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, I really like that. But then in the upper left-hand quadrant, we've got, what, Crimson Spider-Man, the girl Spider-Man, an old person uh, Spider-Man.
0: Someone in the black Sp- Spider-Man suit, someone in the crimson, or the, what is it, the Scarlet Spider Scarlet suit. Scarlet Spider, yeah. Madam Web. Is that the old lady? Yeah, Madam Web is the lady from uh, Nothing Can Stop the Juggernaut. Ah, okay. Which you and I will probably be covering with Rodrigo in, yeah, in a couple of weeks. Not so far off in the future.
1: Well, in fact, isn't the, in the lower quadrant, isn't there a picture of the juggernaut and Spider-Man fighting or not? The juggernaut.
0: Yes. There, well, there's a picture of juggernaut lying down and Spider-Man. I don't know. So maybe a retelling of, of more than one story, but right in front of Lizard's face, you can see Craven's daughter holding Peter's costume too. Yeah. And Craven's daughter is a brand new character. Ah, okay. Which makes me think that, you know, if you look above Peter's head, you can see one of Dr. Octopus's arms. Mm -hmm. It makes me wonder if what we're getting is not going to be, I don't know, maybe there's going to be something big, or maybe what we're getting here is... A preview of a lot of things that are happening, a lot of the old NBC teasers.
1: Well, and that's what I was thinking, and Wintermute actually pointed this out in the comment section. He says, while we're talking about misleading photos released by the big two, anyone remember the countdown picks, or how about the Batman R.I.P. chase for the cowl, or uh, whatever battle was, for the battle, cowl. battle for the cowl picture, with Batface, Tim Wayne, Batwoman, the Squire, and so on. I don't really think much came from any of that, but man, did they yeah. shove that pick in our collective faces of proof of something. Now, I'm going to have to disagree with Wintermute, because every element that was in the battle for the cowl pick played out in the series. I mean, we saw, um, the, the two faced Batman or whoever that was that was doing the two faced Batman. The squire comes up in an upcoming issue in just, I think it's the next issue of Batman and Robin. So all of those things played out in the same way with countdown. The cool thing about the countdown pictures is we could go in and we could dissect. Why are their hands reaching out from the ground? Why are the, does it look like the dead are coming back to life? Well, boom, that led us into, um, the Sinestro Corps War and then the lead up to Blackest Night. And why was right. the uh, this um, uh, new god device laying on the ground? Well, because there were no more news gods and so on and so forth. So yep. I think if, if we're talking about photos that are leading up to something, then this 2010 year of Spider-Man promo pick might be telling us, here's what's going on in all the stories. For the
0: entire year. And yeah.
1: And that would work for me. Because there might be a quadrant of this that represents Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. Maybe they're retelling that Juggernaut's uh, Spider-Man story in Ultimate Comics Spider-Man or something. Who knows? Well, that
0: would suck. <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, Ultimate Juggernaut is dead as a hammer.
1: Is he? So I can remember to, who died.
0: They'd have to create a new Juggernaut. Yeah. Um. Well, here's the thing. Are you ready? Yes, who died blow my mind. in Ultimate? Are you ready?
1: Nobody of consequence.
0: Spider-Man and Captain America are still alive. Ta-da! Yes. So is Pretty Iron Man. Everybody yeah. else bit the big Twinkie. No, Iron Man is a new Iron Man.
1: <clears throat> no, he's me. Tony Stark.
0: No, he's not. Iron Man is uh, Tony's brother. Is it? I don't uh-huh. think so. I don't think read, so. Read
1: the book. I can't. It's just too terrible.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Iron Man is Tony Stark's brother. Oh, okay. See, here's the thing I have an advantage over you in that you read comics. Right. What I do is I put the comics that no one bought back on the shelves, bagged and boarded. But that gives me a moment to check them over and read them and to go, wow, I sure am glad I didn't buy that. Or in some cases to go, hey, I'm not even going to bag this. I'm going to stick it in my stuff because that's (laughs) what happens more often than not. (laughs) But in any case, you know, I I think that the Spider-Man titles, at least from an editorial and a sales perspective, have been on target since One More Day.
1: Well, and this is the thing that I think people don't realize. Everybody rails against the One More Brand New Day thing and says, oh, this is terrible. This is going to be the end of it. Yet people continue to buy the Spider-Man books. And this goes for any book. If you don't like something, drop it. That's the biggest way that people can comment is with their pocketbook. But, you know, look at uh, what Joe has said when people have asked about the success of, of the One More Brand New Day series. And he's like, I don't know what people are complaining about. It sells really great, so therefore we're going to continue it. So It hasn't hurt to sales. Not only that. It's actually improved
0: sales. We have a lot of people on Major Spoilers who have a particularly bad habit, which is, I don't like this book. I'll just pick up the trade. Yeah. Well, you pick up the trade, they're getting money for it. Yeah. Not only that, trade sales are probably any more an even better indicator of a book's, you know, Oh, yeah. Success. the Yeah. Cause you can have something, you, you sell $40,000, 40,000 comics a month. It's a loss leader for those trade paperbacks of which you're going to sell, you know, 20 grand. Mm-hmm. So yeah, don't support a title you don't like. And more importantly, and I think this is, this is a general rule of anything. We all have things that we love to hate and we all go to movies just to go, Oh, this is going to suck. Uh, on an unrelated note, I saw Sherlock Holmes over the holiday. So did but, I. We're uh, going to
1: have to talk about we're going to have to talk about that uh, on the Saturday show. And let me just plug this real quick: Saturday show, we'll talk about Sherlock Holmes. We'll also talk about Doctor Who on the Saturday Major Spoilers podcast. Back to your thoughts, Matthew.
2: Careful. But
0: you shouldn't buy something if you hate it. If you hate it. If you hate it. Now there are things that we love to hate. Right. But when you're talking, you know, oh, now here's here's a quote. I may buy Spider-Man again if this garbage is all over. I hated it. I hated it. They destroyed Spider-Man, blah, blah, blah. Okay, let's talk about this. This is written by someone who obviously knows what's going on. Obviously. Either either someone is reading a book that he hates and hates and hates and hates and hates, or even worse, and possibly more likely, someone is speaking about something they haven't even read.
1: Well, that's probably more th- more likely, yeah.
0: Well, and, you know, it it comes to a point where... Any any big company is all about what's selling. And if it's selling and it sucks, then it's selling and it sucks. And a lot of things do sell and suck all at the same time. I believe Beavis and Butthead said it best when they said, uh, it sucks and sucks and sucks and then it's like, over. (laughs) So when it comes down to it, if something is is, is, is sucking and sucking, just, just walk away. I mean... Life will not be that much less grand if you're not reading Spider-Man. You know, uh, there was a time when I dropped all the Avengers titles. I dropped Justice League, Flash, Legion of Superheroes. Right. I have dropped Legion of Superheroes no fewer than three times. Yeah. Just because I wasn't really, I wasn't feeling it. Yeah, I've done that too. I was at the point of dropping Legion of Superheroes the last time it got canceled. Yeah. And, then they and I only a, hang on because there were three more issues left, and then they re, they relaunched it in a way that I was on board with until Adventure Comics number 5. <laughs> so we got that going for us. Which okay,
1: is- everybody. We can continue this discussion over at Majorspoilers.com. Uh, check on the links in the show notes if you want a direct jump to the comments that people are making, or you can head over to the Majorspoilers Forum. There's a link to that in the top of the Majorspoilers.com. Majorspoilers Forum! That's right. And uh, there are a lot of people talking about this in the forums. And the good thing is, everybody keeps it pretty much um, nice. There's not a lot of fighting, not a lot of bickering, not a lot of, well, you stink, kind of comments that you might find on other forums.
0: Well, you're a unitard. <coughs> I think I just choked
1: yeah, steep. it choked me up there. All right, everybody, we're going to do this, and then we're going to be back. I told you we'd be right back. Okay, Matthew, let's get to some... Obviously, with Rodrigo out this week, we've only got two reviews to bring you: one review from this week and one review from last week.
0: I, as an aside, I'm surprised that I actually hit that note without blowing a blood vessel. That was that was awesome. Yes, and I'm sure you our are listeners, all witnesses. I'm sure our, witnesses. our listeners
1: think that it's awesome too. Matthew, what have you got for us this week? A uh, comic book, and what would it be called? Uh,
0: I read it. It was called uh, New Avengers. New Avengers number 60. Um, for those of you who don't read New Avengers, a few months ago, the New Avengers, who have been on the run since pretty much the Civil War, had a run-in with Norman Osborn and his Dark Avengers, during which um, they... Oh, excuse me. A, a villain named uh, Jonas Harrow, actually, used a power-dampening device on everyone. And having his powers dampened had a bad effect on Luke Cage, causing him basically to have a heart attack. Mm. So Luke basically had to give himself up to Norman Osborn. In the last issue, after they surgically repaired his heart, a crack commando team, and it really was a very wonderful moment and a great issue where the New Avengers couldn't go in and take him down, so they called on Luke's friends, Daredevil, The Valkyrie, The Thing, Doctor Strange, Doctor Voodoo, Hellcat, Iron Fist. Mm -hmm. So it's a team that had two Sorcerer Supremes, a goddess, his best friend on Earth. Just tons of people showing up. The fact that The Thing showed up really said everything to me. And all these people showed up just because they loved Luke and pulled him out of custody. At the end of last issue, we revealed that Norman Osborn left a little tiny device in the lining of Luke's cardiac uh, tissue. Yeah. And this issue, they're sitting, they're talking, and all of a sudden Daredevil hears something. I hear something. something. that's not right. Something's not right. So uh, Luke's heart, of course, has got a little thingy on it. And they have to call in the backup emergency auxiliary Avengers reserves in that basically everybody's here except for Hank the Wasp. So the Wasp and Doctor Strange shrink down to tiny, tiny size and fly up Luke Cage's nose. At which point Spider-Man says, and I quote, Wow, you have two men inside you. <laughs> at which point Luke responds with, don't ever say that again. <laughs> it's a really great Spidey moment. And then everybody just sort of sits around uh, with the combination of magic and science. The scientist supreme, mind you.
1: So is this and, Marvel's version of the Fantastic Voyage?
0: Um, in a way. They actually go straight to his heart, and Norman Osborn starts tracing the signal. So it's a race for time whether ah. Hank and Steven can remove this thing before the Norman Osborn and the sentry shows up. So they show up. Norman Osborn gets a weird look on his face seconds before uh, Hank and Steven are like, okay, go. And there's a huge explosion. Uh-oh. At Norman Osborn's home. Uh-oh. Uh turns out the Avengers, thanks to Spider Man's inside knowledge, did this whole operation at his house. <laughs> Either at his house or immediately teleported the bomb that was in Luke's heart directly to Norman's house. <laughs> That's a big idea. Th- yeah, and the issue ends with a couple of of odd reveals. One uh, Jessica's mom tells Luke that they're being terrible people, terrible, horrible, evil people, and that they need to give up this life if they're going to be good parents. And Luke kind of can't disagree with her. Well, that makes sense. sets up a little something. And then at the end, all the villains who had worked for the Hood, who went public and worked for Norman Osborn, find out that the Hood is not happy with them. And that they all have one job now. They're going to hunt down and kill the New Avengers and everyone who helps the New Avengers. He doesn't care how, and if he kills them all, if they, the assembled supervillains kill them all, then they will be given a presidential pardon. With the exception of Spider-Man, Norman wants Spider-Man all to himself. Of course he does. Now, here's the thing. We've been waiting for the straw that breaks the camel's back. This is almost certainly it. Norman Osborn has deputized some of the worst villains, and by worst, I mean not good, not terrible people. (laughs) They're not terrible villains; they're just not good. Right. He has deputized these villains and sent them out to murder Captain America and Spider-Man and Luke Cage and Iron Man. You know, relatively innocent American citizens. Now, granted, they have made some illegal activities. But certainly none of the activities that the New Avengers have engaged in are capital crimes. So this is, I mean, this is it for me. This has got to be it. Based on the things that are leading into siege and the crazy, crazy, this is going to be the moment where I think the the powers that be are going to realize that Norman's popped his cork. And this is certainly going to lead to Norman's removal from power and his replacement by someone who shall remain nameless Steve Rogers. murderer Steve Rogers. I'm not saying it's Steve Rogers, mind you, I just had to sneeze, and it sounded like that Steve Rogers,, well, gotta clear my throat there mm-hmm. yeah uh, but what, what, what case,
1: about, so is this going to be then uh, Steve Rogers, director of Shield, or what
0: I don't know or Steve I Rogers tell you that. but I can tell you that Norman is definitely gone around the bend. This is yeah, actually yeah. a good issue. Mm-hmm. Not a lot happens here, but it's one of those issues where Bendis makes the most of what he has, and the real fun is in the interaction, mm-. Mm-hmm. The real fun comes when you realize these characters actually have pretty distinct voices. Daredevil doesn't sound just like Iron Fist. Doctor Strange doesn't sound like Doctor Voodoo. Granted, he doesn't sound like Doctor Strange either. But my my issues with uh, Bendis writing anyone who isn't just an average guy are pretty much well-duplicated. All right. The artist by Stuart Eminem,
1: mm-hmm.
0: who uh, until recently handled Ultimate Spider-Man. Right.
1: Love his stuff.
0: Yeah, big fan of mine. Yes, he's a huge fan of me. No, Uh, (laughs) I am a big fan of his work dating back to Volume 4, Legion of Superheroes, where he did just the most adorable lightning glass. Mm -hmm. So this is about a three and a half slice of meatloaf affair. Excellent. Uh, New Avengers dragged a couple of times, but this issue manages to keep the pace up. Had it been combined with last issue and part of the issue before, it would be absolutely perfect. But decompression is the name of the game these days. Yes, yes, it is. I understand why they do what they do when they do what they do. They make you want to shoop. So three and a half slices of meatloaf overall. All right. What do you got to sweep?
1: Well, Matthew, I had a chance to pick up Dynamite Entertainment's brand new uh, issue of Buck Rogers number seven. In fact, I didn't pick it up. They sent it to me and shoved it in my hands and held a gun
0: to my head and said, review this. Review this now. From the 25th century. So, from the future where girls don't wear
1: pants. Actually, they do in this future. They actually wear these weird spandex unitards with uh, glowy a glowing bits all, all over it. Uh, please, I don't want to start coughing again. So, <laughs> Buck Rogers, number seven, finds Buck, Dr. Howard, or Hewer, <laughs> whatever you call him, and uh, Wilma Deering's uh, brother, Buddy. They find themselves in the bowels of the earth where they discover a civilization that's been living there and collecting all manner, manner of technology. Now, this includes Buck's ship. Uh, Buck had the opportunity to he kind of screwed up and got the government mad at him in in the previous issues. And so he has the opportunity to jump ahead in time once again and skip out on all the problems that are going on. But when he goes to the cave where he crashed, it's missing and they find a bunch of underground mutants. Who have taken his ship, and in the process captured mute eh? Yes, then they capture Buck and Buddy and Doctor Howard or Huor or however you say his name. Huer. Huer, and they also discover that these mutants are collecting a bunch of nuclear bombs. That's right. Mutants underground with nuclear bombs in the future. Now, if this sounds like uh, a lot like Beneath the Planet of the Apes, well, it is, and that plot element is not lost on writer Scott Beatty who even has buck recognizing the connection. And it's kind of funny when he says, "Hey, wait a minute. This sounds very, very familiar. It looks very, very familiar." Now, the mutants want to blow up or set off the nukes. Problem is, they're kind of, I don't want to call them special, but they're not really smart.
0: Uh, Yay, we are
2: mutants.
1: Well, they need to we find someone. Smart. They need to find someone to translate the ancient manuscript on how to detonate the bomb. Hmm, I wonder who that might be. Uh, and it this is issue really shows that they're not the smartest group of people around technology because Wait, was it cricket? no, because one of the mutants ends up trying to open up Buck Rogers' disintegrating disintegration ray gun with a rock banging on it. Wait a minute, I think I got this thing open, and of course we have expected results from that. Uh, there goes
0: like this, Zord. He
1: goes kaboom. Meanwhile, there are two side stories. There's Wilma Deering. Uh, continuing her n- negotiations with the Air Lords of Han. Uh, and then there's also another story that features Cain and the evil princess from the very first story arc making an escape. Now, the nice thing about this is they're very short moments, so we really don't know what's going on. They really kind of serve as filler moments where you kind of get that meanwhile in the Air Lord city of Han. Uh, but what it does is it serves to break these moments when Buck and the mutants and everybody go from point A to point B, and we don't want to see them traveling along this underground subway for five issues or for five pages. So that's kind of nice. Um, you know, this is the first part of a, of a two-part story, and I think it works really, really well. I was kind of engaged in it. Uh, Beatty keeps the action moving along, and even with that Planet of Vapes reference, you know, I am still enjoying this story. Uh, Carlos Rafael does a better job on the art than the last outing, although when you look at it, I think his biggest problem, he does a great job on animals, he does a great job on architecture, he does a very good job on drawing men's faces, but when it comes to the women's faces, it's like from panel to panel, Wilma Deering could look totally different or it just, you know, totally not like a, a woman. Um, so there are a few points in the story where things get a little wonky with the art there, but... I understand that's the way he draws. And, you know, it's one of those things I think the the longer you read a series, the more it grows on you. Uh, this is the seventh issue of the series, although it could be counted as the eighth if you count the free comic book day zero edition. Uh, and still, Matthew, I'm strangely drawn to this issue month after month. It it keeps drawing, uh, drawing me near to it, just like a moth to a flame. It isn't the best series out there. Uh, it isn't the worst series out there either. But it is, I think, solid entertainment, and I do want to keep reading to see what happens next. Buck Rogers, number seven, I'm going to go with you three and a half slices of meatloaf from me.
0: Yeah, does it have Tweaky?
1: No, it doesn't, although there was a moment in issue five, I think, when he's being brought before the council to prove that he's a time traveler, where there is a Thermopolis device that is shown briefly and Dr. Who Yeah. Dr. Theopolis and, and Dr. Who says, Oh, he would not know what a Theopolis device is. And they kind of just skip on, uh, down the road with that. So there are some little hints here and there, and there are some references that if you read carefully, you will get like this planet of the apes reference, which really isn't, uh, spelled out for you. But if you've seen this, the movie, you know, what's, you know, you, you catch it here in the book. Um, so it's not terrible. It's not bad. I know that uh, Double Dumbass on You, uh, John from the Double Dumbass on You dot com website, really bailed after the zero issue and said he couldn't really see anything interesting in it. The first story arc where they're battling mutated animals really didn't sell it for me. But from there, it's starting to pick up steam, and we're starting to see some of the familiar elements of the traditional Buck Rogers series appear, and and I find that interesting.
0: Cool. Now here's a question for you, as sure. a, as a brief aside. Sure. Does it make it better because, yeah, Buck makes a reference in continuity to this being, hey, now wait a minute. Does it make it better when a writer actually hangs a lantern on something like that and they say, we know that this is like Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Bear with us. We're doing something neat.
1: I think what Scott Beatty's trying to do is prevent people from going, oh, yeah, you just ripped that off from Beneath the Planet of the Apes. How lame by cutting it off right there at the pass and saying, hey, Buck Rogers is a person of – You know, our time period, he would have seen Beneath the Planet of the Apes and he would have made that jokey connection. Had he not put in that jokey connection bit, I think half the people reading the series would probably not get the reference.
0: But that's the thing. If you make sort of a reference or if you do something that's similar enough, does it make it better to say that you realize that you know that this is similar? Or, to me, you know, does would no. that make it worse? Would that make it more obvious to you? Say you didn't catch it. Right. Well, then, then, then with Buck it, saying... Would it have changed your appreciation of this issue? Uh,
1: no. Well, if I had not caught it, I would have just wondered why Buck says, oh, there's something oddly familiar about this. Because that's all he says. He doesn't say, oh, this looks like a movie Planet of Beneath the Planet of the Apes from 1972 or whatever year it came out. Uh, so it's very, it's very there. It just kind of thrown in your face and if you don't catch it it's just like well that doesn't make sense and move on um but it may also make you wonder well what's he talking about kind of stuff so i don't think that throwing that in there really detracted from the issue i think it it kind of softened the blow of you know uh somebody going well you're just ripping that story plot point off from something else you're stupid right you're, right, you right right no you're um. an omnicron unit all right, so those are our two reviews. We will have more reviews up on the Majorspoilers.com website as we progress. We're slowly starting to get back into the new year, and this is the first week where we have more than one comic out. So you should see. By the start way, some the Planet stuff. of
0: the Apes was from like nineteen seventy, I believe. Yeah, like seventy. Was it nineteen seventy-two? Sixty-eight. Okay. And then it was followed by Escape from the Planet of the Apes in seventy-one. I believe there was. Was it Conquest next?
1: No, Beneath is the, is the third one. I'm pretty sure. No, Beneath is
0: the second one. Oh, okay. Because well, Beneath, Beneath uh, Escape from the Planet of the Apes is the one where Cornelius and Zero come back in time. Yeah. But I can't remember. The last two are Conquest and Battle. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if they battle before they Conquest or they Conquest yeah. and then they battle. Beneath the Planet of the Apes, 1970. And then, yeah, the TV show was like 1975, I guess. Escape I the Planet of the Apes is followed up by that. The TV show is great because it has the most transparent Starsky and Hutch lookalikes you'll ever see. Yes,
1: Conquest following that. So Conquest did come before and Battle. Battle for the Planet of the Apes is the last one. No,
0: yeah. Planet I have got to get my computer to where I can read the <clears throat> wiki I'm talking to. Yes, you I'm do.
1: Yes, you do. So instead of reading the wiki, why don't we move on to... The Major Spoilers! Poll of the Week, U.S. Government edition.
0: <laughs> no, wait, that's the news music. How does the Poll of the Week go? I don't know. Da, 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 here it comes, the Poll of the Week. Yes, yeah, Song to the Buck Rogers song. From 1980. What <laughs> kind of pool will it be? So the
1: United States Postal Service unveiled its 2010 stamp lineup this past week. And among the notable images, including a great uh, old cowboy serial series, uh, they're continuing on their comic series with the great Sunday funnies strips from the from the newspapers. Now, the United States Postal Service has been doing this, Matthew, for several years. You probably know they did it with the uh, DC characters and they've done it with Marvel characters. And you know, if you get a four sheet of these stamps, they really they make an awesome display. But the I had question, four sheet
0: college, a little penicillin clear there. Right? Yeah,
1: all right. So there's five stamps that have been been named in this Sunday Funnies one. It's Beetle Bailey, Calvin and Hobbes, Archie, Garfield, and Dennis the Menace.
0: By the way, you misspelled Calvin and Hobbes. Well,
1: great. That's great. Uh, of the five Sunday Funny stamps announced. Oh. Which one will be on your do not mail stamp? Which one is your do not mail stamp? The one that you will keep hidden away and, and not use.
0: I I keep wondering why no why no peanuts? Why no blue? Well, you know, County? there
1: was a there was a peanuts series that came out a few years ago and there are always a lot of Snoopy stamps Go, uh, yeah. Out there, so that's probably why they were not included in this in this series. Why
0: no Far Side? Why no For Better or For Worse? Why no Doonesbury If if I were choosing from the five listed, well, first of all, I didn't realize that Archie was a Saturday morning or a Sunday it, morning. It actually
1: ran in the Sunday paper from like nineteen forty two to nineteen forty seven or something. So it's really obscure as far as the newspaper connection goes. Okay.
0: And Beatle Bailey has been the same joke since 1974. Uh, <laughs> God Gar- Garfield has been the same joke since ever. Mondays. Since Why did it have ever? to be Mondays? Dennis the Menace hasn't been funny since Hank Ketchum died.
1: Well, I was going to say since about 1962 it hasn't been funny. But
0: Hank Ketchum had a really, really great sense of humor, and he had a really perverse sort of well, thought process. I don't
1: know if you K- ever read like the real early, early Dennis the Menace stuff, if you've ever read those early collections but those are hysterical because you're right there is a lot of innuendo there's mm -hmm. a lot of here's a kid speaking his mind when he should be quiet kind of stuff and then it just all of a sudden turned it kind of settles into
0: a formula and then they get a new writer and it it becomes it absolutely is a formula yeah so my choice would have to be calvin and Hobbes.
1: well see this is the thing i thought about this and i'm and I originally selected Calvin and Hobbes too. That's what I voted for. But then I started thinking, and if I could go back and change my vote, I probably would. Which you of these can. stamps? Which you of these stamps? Universal. I do. Which of these stamps would be on my do not mail list? And I would have to say that I would not mail the Garfield stamp. I would not put the Garfield stamp on an envelope because I don't want somebody getting this letter or bill from me and going, "What the hell's wrong with this guy? He likes Garfield. What the hell's this? This puts and then he." I, Accidentally loses my my payment because he thinks right. I'm a, a moron and uh, and uh, and and I get charged <laughs> for my get my service cut off or something. I I would say well, I would be more than happy. You are a moron. I so. would be more than happy to mail the Calvin and Hobbes one out because Calvin and Hobbes rock, and I think a lot of people would get the humor in that stamp of Calvin and Hobbes making a uh, making faces.
0: Even uh, if we had an extra G in there. Now. Even
1: if we do add an extra G.
0: Well, 74%, a huge majority of the spoiler rights actually agree with you in your theory of which would you be happier to mail in theory. Right, right. 74% of our viewers, Calvin and Hobbes, 216 votes in. 15%, 16% now for Garfield. Only 5% for Archie. 3% for Beatle. And 2% for Dennis the Menace. And Dennis and Beatle, like many strips on the Sunday Morning pages, Aren't really all that, what's the word I'm looking for? Funny? Contemporary. Well, uh, yeah, I mean. It's still occasionally funny. The,
1: the neat thing about Beetle Bailey was it was funny when, like, Korea was going on.
0: Well, you know, here's an interesting thing that most people don't realize. Do you know who Beetle Bailey's sister is? Uh, isn't it How- High and Lois? Yep, the mother from High yeah. and Lois is actually Beetle Bailey's big sister. Yeah, Beetle um, occasionally will show up in that strip. Right when he's off. And I remember when, he when I was his kid, jug hit he would, outfit. Yeah, he would go on leave, and he would disappear from his own strip, and then he'd show up in the other strip, which I always thought was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But you know, after sixty-seven years to still be a private, you got to figure this guy's a real layabout. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Um, I I think Archie's kind of a cheat here. I would have rather seen, you know, I would have seen, I want to see a far side strip. Just yeah, a interesting. I was really the surprised when you look at
1: these, the when you look at these, of course, Archie was only in the newspapers for a short time. And even well. in the grand scheme of things, when you look at Dennis and Beetle Bailey and Garfield, Calvin and Hobbes was not in the Sunday paper all that long. Calvin ten, and Hobbes? Ten years, years and that was years, it. Ten years, Ten years and that was it. In fact, I don't even well, think it was a Sunday strip when it started. Uh... I think it had to go about two or three years before they started doing the Sunday
0: portion, but some of their best stuff was on Sundays. So oh, yeah. for Spaceman Spiff, definitely was a Sunday episode. Definitely, definitely, and definitely. I, I think this just kind of shows a little bit about some stagnation in the comic strip industry. In that, you know what one of the mo- one of the top selling strips right now is in Sunday Funnies, yeah, Peanuts reprints. Yeah, I know. You know, Sparky's been dead for over a decade and yep. his, you know, his stuff is still seen more often than some of these new strips. Well, well that's why stuff ne- that comes around.
1: Well, newspapers are afraid to try new stuff. Uh, yep. And that's and that's kind of a problem. You know, they really want to they don't want to upset the status quo. And yet because they don't embrace other mediums like the web comic uh, yep. or encourage new submissions. And I know I don't know everything about King syndications, but I hear that they're not really open to new material that isn't really saccharine PC stuff. And so I think that's probably one of the reasons why a lot of people don't read Sunday Funnies anymore.
0: Um, Also the fact that almost nobody reads the paper. Right, exactly.
1: And so there's a bigger commentary going on there. But that is for another time. You can head over to Majorspoilers.com. No, let's have it now. No, we'll talk about that another time. Uh, Majorspoilers.com, you can vote, you can comment, you can read other people's comments all over there. It's all a lot of fun. It's part of the Major Spoilers experience. And speaking of the Major Spoilers experience, people that call into the show are part of the Major Spoilers experience. So check this out. Hey, guys, this is Ed. I was calling um, to kind of may, I saw your topic this week about Supreme, alien that comes to Earth. And it made me think of a Christmas gift I got this year. My parents got me the first season of ALF, Um, uh, being an old guy. I remember when ALF was on originally, and I really liked it. And now um, I'm watching it with my six-year-old son, and he thinks it's great. Um, I remember there was an ALF comic book, so I'm trying to bring in the comic book there. But I just wanted to um, give a little shout-out to ALF, and maybe you guys should talk about that sometime. On a mini quick review, maybe do something about shows of the 1980s that are comic books or related. I'm in. Talk to you later. Thanks for the great show. Bye. Well, I have no idea what uh, (laughs) how we go from Supreme Power to ALF. Uh, Just quickly, though, ALF is one of the great— We could
0: review the 15-issue ALF series that Marvel put out in uh, 90-whatever. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, yeah. Know, I'll not. scan my copies. Okay, you'll be the only one
1: that has those in existence. So
0: you might be surprised. Alf actually had two titles at one point.
1: Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, and
0: two Saturday morning cartoon series.
1: Well, I do remember the Saturday morning one was the Alf one, and one was the Gordon Shumway uh, Alf Tales one, which I, Tales. I really enjoyed a lot from uh, the planet
0: Elmag. Yes, I,
1: I really, I think I enjoyed those more because they used his real name and they told these. You know, there was one whole episode that was nothing but a Uh, Bing Bing Crosby, um, Bob Hope Road uh, story, which I just thought was hysterical. So anyway, thank you so much for calling in. And uh, remember, I had nothing to do with that, by the way.
0: What's that? Whatever just happened. I don't think anything. Anything anything you heard was a lie. And remember, folks, if you (laughs) have any thoughts, any comments. If you want to contribute, if you have a favorite 80s sitcom that you'd like to name check, or maybe you do a really great impersonation of Horseshack, Mr. Cutter! Major Hopefully spoilers, better than contact that. Us. Yeah, there is nothing better than that. My name's Steven, and this is how I talk. Contact us at Major Spoilers on the Major Spoilers Hotline, 785 39 uh my voice was replaced by morgan freeman this weekend boy am i pissed
1: okay now we get to the part of the show that i think a lot of people enjoy our discussion of a trade paperback or series for the week although sometimes we'll look at a single issue you or to do a commercial? no we just did that was the uh, that was the bit did
0: that i was... forget a commercial
1: no no we're good okay we're all good don't worry i I've, oh. i'm steering the ship i thought you wanted to do a commercial No, no, no. no. Well, you know, if we had a script, this would be easier. Yes, yes, it would. Let's talk about Supreme Power. This is a...
0: In the year 2003.
1: This is not to be confused. This is not to be confused with uh, Supreme Power. Oh, Squadron Supreme that we reviewed a couple of weeks ago. This is to be confused
0: with Supreme Power (laughs) by dint of it actually being (laughs) Supreme Power.
1: So, Matthew, give us a little background on what is the difference between Squadron Supreme and Supreme Power?
0: Well, Squadron Supreme had a secretary named Kennedy, whereas Supreme Power had a secretary named Lincoln. Uh-huh. And Squadron Supreme was shot in Ford's theater, whereas Supreme Power was shot in a Lincoln Mercury made by the Ford. Never mind. Yes, go uh, on. Supreme Power is basically a reimagining of the characters of the Squadron Supreme. Uh, in the early 2000s, Marvel was in a hey, let's redo everything phase. And uh J. Mike Straczynski... Was given, you know, pretty much free reign with the supreme power, the squadron supreme characters on the heels of his popular Rising Star series. Right. And basically took the same characters, the Justice League pastiche, Hyperion from another planet, Dr. Spectrum with his alien power prism. Now, okay, Zarda, now let me
1: remind it, me again, because we'll go over these characters again in a moment. But yes. so Hyperion is Superman.
0: For all intents and purposes. Dr.
1: Spectrum is supposed to be who? Is that supposed to be Captain the Adam? Hunter. Green Lantern. Okay.
0: Okay. Uh, Zarda, Power Princess is Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Whizzer uh, in this version <laughs> is called the Blur. The Atlanta because, Blur. <laughs> and of course, he's meant to be Guy Gardner, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes,
1: yeah, so he's there supposed to be the Flash.
0: The amphibian who's right. Aquaman, right? Well, there is Tom Thumb, who is essentially the Atom.
1: Okay, he doesn't. Now I should say he doesn't appear in this series
0: not in this portion of the series right tom thumb does come into supreme power later okay way down the line but not in the issues that we've read okay um let's see there is uh well, of who course else batman uh right the nighthawk yes nighthawk nighthawk no that would be nut hatch forgive <laughs> me um the nut hatch right right there's um well, who are the core 12 members of the Justice League? Well,
1: uh, we're forgetting, like, the Martian Manhunter, which isn't right. in this the series.
0: Right, the Skymaster does not appear in this series, to my knowledge.
1: And then we've got the Adam. you already said. We've got—well, uh, we don't have Green Arrow or Black Canary or any of those that appear yet. in this series yet. So what we're doing here—and I only had a chance to read the first 12 issues, and we probably yeah. should have read the first 18 issues— or just read the first 6. Um, or just read the first 6 cuz you know the first 6 is a self-contained story that really examines uh
0: what happens Hyperion. when people stop being polite.
1: <laughs> well, it examines what happens when an alien being crashes to earth and instead of Thomas Era uh, instead of Mom, Pa Kent carting him off into uh into a farmhouse during the middle of winter and saying that the baby was born in the winter, uh the government shows up and says, "Well, He's an American, he's an orphan, he's on American soil, we're going to raise him, he's going to become an all-American boy. And so yeah. they proceed for 18 years of this kid's life, or 13 years of this kid's life, I, it doesn't really, doesn't really spell it out exactly, but it's somewhere between 13 and 18 years of Hyperion's life, Mark Milton. Uh, they raise him in captivity, they give him fake parents who don't love one another, Um, Who, by the way,
0: are some of the saddest people you will ever meet.
1: They really are because they're in this job. They're excited about doing it until uh, Mark's first birthday when they give him a puppy. And then they leave the room Uh, for a moment and the dog starts barking and the kid freaks out. And all of a sudden his heat ray vision or his uh, what do they call it? Atomic vision. Yeah, his atomic flash vision or whatever goes off, fries the dog. And then the parents freak out. At which
0: point we get the best line in the series. I guess spot was a good name for him. Yes.
1: Uh, This was done by a military person who is observing the every move of what's going on in the house. And those parents, I do. You're right. They don't love one another. It's an assignment for them. They have sex once. And
0: it never happened. And it reminds me of the Truman show, actually. Yeah, kind of a little bit. Most of that first issue that that same kind of thought process goes into it where you know, they're there to do a job and the center of attention doesn't realize that they're there to do a job. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing falls apart. Eventually in the end. Yeah. But it, it, if he finds out, it's all over. Right. And that's Did what this come out after the Truman show. Must
1: have because this came out in 2003. Truman show was like in 90, late 90s. There you um, go. So
0: there's definitely a Truman show impact going
1: on. The interesting thing is that while they're trying to raise this. This alien being as an American and 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 feeding him these lies. They're also brainwashing him uh, by bringing in a homeschool teacher. They, you know, they just essentially homeschool the kid. And it's just so full of American. I don't know, propaganda to the point where even one night when the kid is really young, when Mark is really young, the dad is uh, reading to him a fairy tale about uh, some fairy that came down into the land of, of China and said, listen here, mousy tongue, you wait until my Uncle Sam gets home and you're going to be sorry. And then years later, Mark is watching a television program about the Tiananmen Square incident. And uh, he's saying, here now, mousy tongue, you watch yourself. And you just see the brainwashing take into effect. Uh, in this In this first part of the series, there's also some really interesting political discussions about how do we keep this secret? What do we do with a power like this? How do we how do we control it? And that's really the big concern with the government people is all about control. How do we control this weapon? How do we keep it secret? Yada, 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 yada. And I found it really interesting that we got to see every president uh, since Jimmy Carter appear in the book, which I thought was kind of cool, uh, just in the aspect of here's the president that's. Being right. the real, being kept the, the real-time effect. Yeah, yeah, the, is being kept apprised of the situation, and we see it go from Carter to Reagan to you know George Bush Senior to Bill Clinton, which is when people start sniffing around a little bit. Reporters are starting to get in on the on the uh, on the action and trying to figure out what's going on. And this is going on for years. All the while, Mark is discovering that he has powers. He's obviously got his X-ray vision or his heat vision or whatever we're going to call it. He discovers he has the power of flight. He uh, can see a long ways, and so he realizes that he's in a compound guarded by um, by the military, mm-hmm. and he also has super hearing, which he never lets on that he has the super hearing. And I found that very interesting, too, especially when he comes out to his quote-unquote father uh, that he says, you know, I don't need these fences around. I can fly out any time, and shows that he can fly, and he asks that question, and it goes back to what we were talking about with the mother and father figures – he says, do you guys love me? Do you love each other? And do you love me? And if you love me, then I'll stay. And if, if you love each other, then I'll stay. And it's really kind of an odd, I don't know, it's a, it's, it's kind of creepy because on one hand, you kind of weird. know that you kind of know that Mark knows that it's a sham.
0: Yeah, but he doesn't want to admit it to himself. And he's just young enough here that he's willing to believe their lie. They're telling the truth, even if he knows they're lying. Right. And I think that's, a, that's an important insight to Mark's mental state. He is probably the most powerful thing ever on his planet. Right. But emotionally, he's still a kid, mm-hmm. and he's still easily manipulated by all of this. Mm-hmm. You know, it, at the beginning of his origin, we get the standard issue, we found him in a field, and then the guys show up with the guns. Right. You know, it. I can imagine that having a life that isolated, even if you have a mommy and daddy that you think love you. A faux mommy and daddy, whatever. It's got to be isolating. It's got to be weird having no social context.
1: Right. And they even Mark even comes out at one point and says, hey, you know, I'd like to go to school with the other kids. And so they round up a bunch of military brat kids and put them all in this faux school. And he goes for one day and it's like the kids are afraid of him. Uh, yep. The one girl that he thinks he likes or or has an eye on thinks he's creepy and weird. and And of course, he can hear this and see all this. And it really discourages him from having real inter real interactions with other people. And it kind of makes him I don't know. I don't want to put all homeschool people in a in a in a category of weirdos. But 90 percent of the homeschooled kids that I've met have very poor social skills. And that's what comes off with Mark. He has no way of interacting with the real world.
0: Well, I mean, socialization is an important part of, you know, early skills and. Having having Mark end up being alienated, Mm -hmm. being the weird kid, makes a lot more sense than the whole Clark Kent theory that seems to be going around now that, you know, with all of his powers, he was super popular and everybody loved him and he was great at sports. Right. I kind of liked it better when Clark Kent was always just a mensch. Right, right. He was just this guy and and nobody really knew exactly – What his thing was, and he was weird and disturbing and blah de blah blah I liked it better that way. So I like, up to a point, the alienation, because he's an alien. But I'm really bothered by the fact that there are a lot of comics, a lot of stories that are like, look how this is more futuristic, this is more realistic. Because, hey, look, you know, he's twisted and his brain's all messed up. Right. Why is that necessarily more realistic? Why is I think it, it goes back more to more realistic for him to be messed up?
1: Because it goes back to your favorite part of, of comics that transpired in the 80s. We've got to make them dark. You shut your face. Well, and that's kind of what it comes shut off as because, form. look, Mark turns 18 and the president comes up to him and says, hey, son, do you want to serve your country? Yes, sir. Okay, great. We're going to have you go do all these horrible things. There's this war going on in the Gulf. Uh, and we want you to go in and take out these Iraqi insurgents before our troops get there and you're going to be our secret weapon. And for many years, he is that secret weapon and he does some horrible things. He goes in and he kills and he destroys and he does all these things in the name of America and the good. And then again, the reporters start poking around and then they have to essentially come out of the closet and say, okay, yes, here it is. Yeah. And we're introduced to this reporter, and I forget what his name is, but essentially he's Lois Lane. Although at first I thought maybe he was a question uh, equivalent because he was asking all the questions. Right. And we get this moment where the reporter is woken up in the middle of the night and said, go out to your balcony, and there's Hyperion floating there saying, hello, Mr. So-and-so, I hear you have a few questions for me. And so there's your nod to the Superman movies in the, in the meeting with, with Lois Lane for that first time in that interview. And then, of course, because now he is this public figure, public knowledge about him, uh, the government Mm -hmm. comes out and says, yes, he is this superhero. We've we've had him. He's uh, he's an American. He was born here in America. And they make a make up all these lies again that they've told Mark over the years and the American people believe it. Uh, Mm -hmm. But then something strange happens at the end of the story. Um, Or at least in this first arc. There is a power device that was in the ship that brought Mark to Earth, and they're trying to figure out how it works, and they figured out that somehow the power device is triggered to someone's mind, and anyone who touches it has not had a good experience with it. They've all died because they can't keep their mind focused. So they go out and they find this guy uh, called the Doctor, not confused with our Doctor from the uh, Doctor Who TV series and not to be confused with my doctor who I'm going to see tomorrow about that little uh, problem that we discussed, Matthew.
0: Um, Uh, Blue
1: pills. (laughs) (laughs) You'll be fine. But he is somebody that is solely focused on the issue at hand, and he's able to pick up this power device without a problem and fire it and and use it as a weapon, and then all of a sudden it merges with him.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And all of a sudden... Mark is being seen at things like essentially rescuing cats from trees is how the government finally puts it. Uh, he's there saving people from burning buildings. He's doing the mundane hero stuff that we might associate with a, a character like Superman. But they're using Mark as a front or Hyperion as a front for what's his name? Dr. S- Dr. Sunlight. No, that's a doctor or a doc. Doc Savage villain. What's right? A,
0: John Sunlight. Yes. Dr. Um, Spectrum.
1: Dr. Spectrum. They're using him now to go do all the dirty dirty tricks and the dirty right. deeds. And that doesn't well, sit doesn't sit well either.
0: No, but you have to you have to look at it from their perspective too. Joe Ledger, the reason he even got involved with the power prism is because he's basically a long term government psycho killer type guy, right. for all intents and purposes. Right. He's a black ops dude. And so having him with a portion of this power is just you know it's it's win win for them and by the way gary frank's creepy faces thing yes is in full effect yes, at the end is. of issue 5 <laughs> there's a sequence where the general right above hyperion's head the general is looking directly at the reader and it's given me the heebie-jeebies <laughs> i cannot focus on anything else well but
1: there is this interesting psychology that goes on between Doctor Spectrum and Hyperion, and there is an actual doctor figure in the series—a psychiatrist or a—I don't know what is he is, but he's a main scientist for the government. Who I'm guessing is he? Do, does he have a, a DC equivalent? Is he Doctor Hugo Strange? Is he? I don't is believe he, he does. Savannah,
0: Doctor Savannah, Doctor Guy, Doctor Guy. I don't
1: know. It's very I didn't interesting.
0: necessarily get a real Savannah vibe. This book, this particular version of it, isn't necessarily written with a big eye to, right. you know, is representational of whom?
1: Right, right. Uh, the only reason I kind of put it in the Dr. Savannah light is because he's got the big glasses, and he yeah. is the big scientist, and he's short and bald, and he's kind of bent on control. And when Savannah and Mr. Mind teamed up, it was always about the mind control aspect. And I find it very fascinating that we start to see Mark's mental state start to crack as the, as the series goes on. Um, he starts to question what goes on and, and this doctor, uh, doctor, I don't know what his name is. I'll call him Dr. S. He has this idea that it's time to pull the parents out to extract them from their duty of these last 18 years. And This fake death of the parents will cause Hyperion to love his, I don't know, his adopted homeland even more and make the power complete as far as control goes. Mm -hmm. And it does work to a point because now Hyperion is all alone. There's no one else with powers like he has. And so he's willing to do whatever the government wants him to do. No questions asked. And then one day he's watching television and he hears something about the Atlanta Blur. Tell us
0: about the, the Atlanta blur. blur. The Blur is an interesting story, actually. Stanley Stewart, who in the original Squadron Supreme series was a buzz cut white guy from the Midwest, uh, apparently grew up to be Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> The blur is a character who gets superhuman speed, and I believe, didn't he have direct interaction with some of the Hyperion energy? So here's
1: the thing. When, and this kind of goes into some of these other characters, when the Hyperion ship was coming into the atmosphere, things broke off or things shot out. And it infected people. On the night that the ship came in, uh, Stanley got super sick and eventually got better and then got these super speeds. Um, um, married couple pregnant were looking at the falling stars and made a wish. I hope it was a boy and it was not a boy and it was not really a girl either. It was something. It was a teenage fish man, fish girl, as we find teenage out later.
2: Fish man,
1: uh, and so we start to get this impression that the ship mm. has caused other people to have powers. And we'll talk about this more in a moment. But yes, there seems it's to be a connection. It's less of an
0: impression and more I've actually shown. Yes. But that's there's, okay.
1: There seems to be this connection between um,
0: Stanley's super speed and Hyperion. And even at Stanley's speed, it's important to point out that people see him and someone gets a picture of him. So it's not, you know, as though he's so superhumanly fast that he can become invisible. And run across water and turn back time. Although
1: most people don't, I mean, most people feel this breeze and they they can't explain it. They see yep. something whoosh by, and that's why they call it the Atlanta blurb, because he's in the south. Yep. Um,
0: yep. And the government people show up, and they—it's actually
1: not—it's not the government people. It is uh, a couple of agents, and not government agents, but promotional agents—people that want to sign him to make money to turn him mm-hmm. essentially into a Tiger Woods. Uh, well.
0: Uh, sprunky Cola.
1: Yes, they want him to be an endorser for product.
0: And Great it works. Sprunky. Well, he's, he's you know, very cool. He looks like Lenny Kravitz. Yes. And he runs the speed of sound. What's not to like? Well,
1: and the, this is an interesting thing about all these characters and how they start to go through a change. And from the one aspect of the book, I really like how the characters change and evolve over time. They're not these, you know, 70, 80 year old figures that have been the same truth, justice in the American way but they actually right. go through this catharsis this change this reckoning and when Stanley first comes out he says you know I just want to be a hero I want to make my mom proud of me and then they start throwing money at him and that hero aspect starts to fall away and he doesn't know what he wants to do with his life and Hyperion and Stanley actually have a have an encounter at the end of at the end of the first arc yeah What goes on in that, Matthew? Why don't you explain it to us?
0: It's actually pretty interesting. Uh, Stanley's doing a press conference. (laughs) Stanley. Uh, uh, And uh, Hyperion flies by, flying and speaking so fast that nobody but Stanley would catch it. And they end up just standing standing in a field talking. It's a, a really interesting scene because Hyperion's just sitting there leaning on a fence and all of a sudden the blur is there and they just start talking. They talk about you know the nature of their superhuman stuff and hyperion lies about how he's not completely and utterly maladjusted and ready to kill everything right and blur asks him he's like what do you do and he hyperion's well like well i save people and i save this and i do that and he's like no 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 that's that's what you did what do you do and it's blur that actually asks the question of hyperion that really eventually unravels everything
1: mhm
0: because he a, his he question
1: a- yeah he gives a great analogy he's like you know my mom got a or a friend or somebody had this Scottish terrier or some kind of dog and as long as you kept the dog busy uh you know having it do these things and do these things it was content but the minute it didn't have something to do it went batshit crazy and tore up the front porch yep and he t- and this that's- he tells Hyperion that what do you do you don't want to go you know crazy like that.
0: And it's, I mean, it's a good point. And it's the point where Hyperion realizes that's how the government has been treating him. Mm-hmm. And there's, I mean, there's the implication as, as he exits the, a couple of the fences that they've been leaning against end up getting knocked down. And I'm not sure entirely mm-hmm. how, but the implication is that Hyperion got frustrated or angry and shattered these, you know, these wrought wooden fences with his hands because he was freaked out. But Well, do you think it was, he was freaked out or
1: uh, isn't there a moment, I don't have the issue here in front of me, but isn't there a moment where Hyperion is sitting there at the fence and then Stanley shows up and he says, you're late? Or am I thinking of another, I guess maybe I'm thinking of another moment so that maybe while he was not doing anything, waiting for Stanley to show up, that's when he tore apart the fence because he had nothing to do, which further strengthens that, that story connection of, of what Stanley is telling him.
0: No this uh, this interaction inter- starts with hey how's it going okay all Good. right you? all right okay so that's kind of interesting
1: yeah but it is it is still ties into I I didn't make that connection either that maybe it was Hyperion that tore the fences down I was just like well why are there's a bunch of fences broken
0: over and there? and I that was immediately sense. you know horrified and overwhelmed by the sight of Doctor Spectrum's dong <laughs> about two pages down so, the line so, so I made Doc- a misprint.
1: what happens with Doctor Spectrum.
0: Uh, he has – he bonded with the, the power prism, the shard. Right. And he shows up at Dr. S.'s window all, you know, uh let, let's say Dr. Manhattan-y. Naked. Yeah. And there's another creepy Gary Frank staring out at you panel as he flips out and basically tells him he can do whatever
2: he wants. I can do anything. I'm
0: running a it. And he just stops. He's like, oh, hi. How's it going? Yeah, what are we doing floating above the earth, man? And, and you realize that Dr. Spectrum is crazy.
1: <laughs> not, not just crazy. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs crazy.
0: Oh, man. He is, he is El Bonzo Seiko. He's two turns off plum. The cheese <laughs> done fell off a of Dr. Spectrum's cracker. He is running on a lean mixture. Yeah, yeah. The is. boat left and Dr. Spectrum was not on the boat. Are, they, are these metaphors doing anything for Yes, me?
1: they are doing quite a much for me. But yes, uh, they put him pretty much back under control. Uh, yeah. And yeah. in this first six issues, he's just kind of there.
0: We don't really know what he's doing in these he's first six issues. He's
2: crazy.
0: He's what my grandfather might refer to as three shades of bugfuck. Yeah.
1: There's one um, more character we haven't discussed that is, I, I think, kind of an important character when we... Think about the the relationship between the you know the super friends the, between Night who is supposed to be Batman. Nighthawk. I will say this: when Stanley and and uh, Mark are having their conversation, they seem more friends. They seem this to me when I read that they're, was yeah, this is peers. the Bruce Clark connection.
0: They're definitely peers. Yeah, um, they're they're two people who are are out of place, and their powers make them different, and so. It, it, with each other, they get a weird moment to act like a normal person.
1: Right. Which is exactly what Mark wants. Yeah. But then we get to... Nighthawk. Nighthawk.
0: Who's a dick? <laughs> Let me put it to you this way. His bat dick meter goes to 11.
1: <laughs> it goes up to 100, and I think. it
0: stays there.
1: When he was a and young lad... When he was a young lad... Uh...
2: When he was a young warthog... <laughs>
0: Go
1: ahead. Tell the story.
2: When I was a young Nighthawk.
0: Nighthawk's parents were killed in a hate crime. Right. And apparently they have more money than God. Yes. And Nighthawk has recently come into the full inheritance of his family's money, and he's put together a little suit. And it is, it's designed intentionally to look less like a costume and more like, you know, a battle uniform. There's Mm -hmm. a problem I have with it, though. Which is? And this is partly in retrospect. I didn't necessarily like it in that it wasn't very uniform. Mm-hmm. This was seven, eight years ago. And at this point in time, Nighthawk's uniform looks really familiar to anyone who's seen G.I. Joe. Oh, okay. I was going to say
1: Watchmen. anybody
0: who's seen Watchmen, but not only that, it, it just kind of looks like, it, it looks like, you know, snake eyes with a strange bird feather motif. And that's yeah. it.
1: Yeah, I can see that.
0: It's one of those, you could buy this if you ordered everything out of the back of, you know, Soldier of Fortune kind of uniforms that I dislike. Mm-hmm. But Nighthawk, Nighthawk. He goes out to avenge
1: crime in Chicago. People
0: up. And yeah. one night.
1: What, what kind Hyperion of people though, Matthew? Shows up. What kind of people
0: does he beat up? Whiteies. Yeah. Hyperion. Well, Hyperion actually calls him on this in their first meeting. Nighthawk's. Nighthawk's general mission, because his parents were killed by a white supremacist group, tends to be intervening in crimes. But Hyperion points out that he always protects people who are of his same ethnicity, being attacked by people who are of a different ethnicity. Right. It's always African-American people who are being attacked by Caucasians is where Nighthawk steps in. Right. Whereas situations that don't have that particular element – don't necessarily get Nighthawk's attention.
1: And and Hyperion points out that, you know, there's this white woman that was being attacked by a Hispanic group. There's the Asian that's being attacked by, what was it? I forget what, some other group. And he said, how come you're not doing anything with that? And essentially Nighthawk's response is, you're a prick.
0: Well, there's a really beautiful moment where uh, Hyperion goes into a standard issue, Clark Kent speechifying mode. Yes, and which I thought was, yes. It, you see Nighthawk's perspective as he starts, blah, 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 blah. And then you see him and he starts talking and then you see him in a Ku Klux Klan hood. And then you, you see him wearing a little hat that says, welcome, bleeding heart liberals. And then you see him on Mars with aliens going, daddy. Yeah, it's fascinating to see, you know, Nighthawk thinks this man is crazy. Of and all, no all the pages
1: in the series, that was my favorite page of the whole series.
0: Just that whole sort of thing where you see Nighthawk is. Yeah,
1: where you see this super powered being through Nighthawk's eyes and you not only just see it through his eyes of, okay, this guy's an alien or whatever, but you also see it through the eyes of someone who is himself racist. And I just found it so fascinating that in that one page we encapsulate everything that Nighthawk is about, even though he doesn't take up a lot of the um, story elements in, in this first series. Yeah, And so that's I, what I found fascinating.
0: I like the Nighthawk take here. I like the whole, you know, kind of a, a twist on the Batman formula.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I think my internal bleeding heart liberal is a little troubled by Nighthawk being as much a racist as the people that he fights against.
1: Well, and I think that's part of the point. You, you know, we're not supposed to Batman is supposed to be somebody that's feared. And in this case, Nighthawk is not somebody that's feared. He's someone that you don't like. I mean he is a dick. I mean he is a racist himself. He even goes so far into later issues beyond the first 6 where no maybe it is in this first 6 where he and Stanley are having a conversation and he he talks to Stanley about your people. And Stanley's yeah. like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa. You need to get your head straight because this mm-hmm. isn't cool."
0: Yeah. And that is later, actually. It's in the second six, but it's in this, you know, this portion. Okay. It's, it's interesting to see these takes on the characters. And I like to a point, the modernization that's used. I like taking a Superman archetype and saying, Hey, or archetype rather, and saying, Hey, this is what might really happen if Superman really existed. But there's a darkness to all of these characters that. Yes, realism. Yes, you know, human nature. Yes, the understanding that most people with superpowers are going to work in their own interest and only their own interest. Fine. I'm, I'm down with all that, but, uh, I don't know if it's just the cumulative effect of 40 years of comics, but it's something, it's a little wearying to have all of this. Right. And he's dark. Right. And he's, he's crazy. Well, and, and that's, he's, that's why Stanley is such a revelation to me.
2: Mm
1: hmm.
0: But also, you know, as things go on and as the series progresses, it gets darker and darker. But it also gets closer to what we normally, I guess, what we tend to see in superhero Marvel, DC, Mm -hmm. you know, standard issue superhero comics. So the further on we go and the more the characters are delineated, the more the characters interact, the more we come back to kind of this comic book status quo.
1: Well, and and I haven't read the final arc of this story. I've only read the first two uh, arcs in the story, the first two chapters of the story, essentially. Yeah. But I kind of feel the same thing you're feeling about the original series, the squadron Supreme, where it was like, Oh my gosh, how many times do we have to see these same characters doing these same things? Blah, 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 blah. By the time I got to Supreme power, I was like, okay, this is different. I'm going to sit back and enjoy it. And I do like some of the character aspects. I do like the characterizations. I do like Mm. how the story is developing, how it starts out all wholesome and nice. And then by the time you hit chapter two, it all falls apart. And so I'm interested to see what happens in chapter three, if everything is being able to be redeemed or what. Uh, But the problem that I had with this series is that, oh my God, it's just like rising stars to a point.
0: Oh, and I felt that when it was being, you know, well, and of course, you read say, it originally yeah. in the original I issues. read it originally when he's on yes. yes. the individual issue four, So it was even more pronounced since Rising Stars wasn't yet complete. When I know. This that
1: happened. was the thing. They're both going on at the same time. Of course, Rising Stars started in 99. Supreme right. Power came out in 2003. But surely, Matthew, at the time, were there not people going crazy over, this is just Rising Stars all over again?
0: Well, I know I thought that. It's part of the reason why I didn't get all the way through. You know, I, I think I read all of the first 18 issues, but after that, yeah, I'm done. Okay. Because, and I think part of it is the fact that it's so similar to Rising Stars, but also that it's so similar to many, many, many things.
2: Mm-hmm. And by
0: by trying to make it darker and more, the phrase that I always use is badass. Everybody has to be a badass. Nighthawk—it's not enough that Nighthawk or Batman be this. He also has to be this guy who's tougher, and you know, and he does this, and he says these Charles Bronson little things, and you just kind of go, "Ooh, he's badass!" Right, right, right. Not everybody can be that. Mm -hmm. And that's again, Stanley, my favorite character. This is the Blur because the Mm -hmm. Blur. Doesn't have a whole lot of hangups about being badass. The Blur knows he's a guy who runs really fast. He's basically a nice guy trying to get rich, right? You know, and you've got your Hyperion flipping out, and your Doctor Spectrum with two personalities, and Nighthawk being Nighthawk. I am the Nighthawk. You have Amphibian when she shows up, and boy, that's entertaining.
1: I, I, I you know, I've only seen her be. in that sec- in the second six where she's there for like uh, four or five pages, and it's interesting to see her. And her sorrow and her trying to connect and not able to connect, but I don't know what happens to her afterwards. Well, so I thought I thought that was yes, interesting.
0: I'm also one of those guys who worries about things that he probably shouldn't. Mm-hmm. I'm worried about the message sent in this book, in that there are two major female characters and nearly all of their appearances in this entire twelve issue arc that we've read. Right. Those N- so both of those women are naked. Naked. Well, I can
1: understand. Um, you know the. The aqua yeah, Amphibian, girl, amphibian yeah. being naked, because she lives in the ocean, you know, she doesn't need, you know, pants. Uh, the princess thing was interesting for about the first two panels of her being naked, and you see the breasts and all of that, uh, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, she's going on a, on a killing and beating and stealing spree in Milan or wherever she's at, mm-hmm. and we're just supposed to accept that, and then everything's good, and of course that's where the series ended for us. Uh, right. so that was a little, that was a little odd, but yes, you're right. Most of the women, the superhero women are portrayed well, as sex objects. And even, even right. the other characters, you know, when we see really the mother and father have an interaction where they have sex in the basement where they don't think anyone's seeing each other. Yeah. Um, the schoolgirls when Mark goes to school are the traditional, you know, military schoolgirl u- uniform, the very, very short skirt with the sweater top which is portrayed very sexually. So I mean there are some of those issues that that go out and of course you see Dong. Uh but this is also uh, for about and this a second. is What's that?
0: For about a second, yeah, yeah for
1: about a second. Uh, this is part and and Matthew you probably know more about this line than I do. This is part of the Marvel Max line where we're taking things to the max. extreme.
0: Yeah, we're taking things to the max. We are Max. There's always been a joke that uh, adult comics are generally not very adult and usually means swearing in breasts.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There's more than just swearing in breasts here to make it a Marvel Max comic, but I, I don't know how to say this. I, I don't know if it's my inner PC thing going off. Maybe it's just the implications. That, yeah, Dr. Spectrum kind of floats around in his, in his, you know, jahoobies for a while, but <laughs> Power Princess spends three issues completely naked, walking around pontificating. And while she's naked, there's no such thing as a close-up. Right. You yeah, know, we have to see her nothing, whole body. There's nothing but medium shots and wide shots. And even when we move in for part of a close-up, her butt has to be on panel. Right. You know, it, maybe it's, maybe it's me. I don't know. Maybe it's supposed to be more realistic. Maybe you figure, you know, these people are dealing with these energies. Why would their poor little clothing, you know, survive? I don't know. I didn't necessarily hate it, but I didn't like the fact that Zarda spent two and three issues. just just running around naked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she's from a society 2,000 years old. I get that. She's from some weird warrior culture, some island off in the Greeks. I don't know, but... (laughs)
2: So it's what what's your,
1: what's your final thought then on this, on this
0: first six issue series, the first arc volume one, pick it up, avoid it's, it. it. It's not as good as squadron Supreme for a number of reasons to me. Squadron Supreme was designed to be close ended. It was designed to have a beginning, a middle and an end. This is all beginning. Not only that, this is running through the six, the first six issues, even the first 12 issues are really running through the origins of, of some of the major characters. Right. You know, what we've seen in the, in the first 12 issues is basically the origin of Superman, Hyperion. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, the, the origin of Green doctor spectrum, the origin of Bad Hawk, you know, the origin of power princess Diana.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's, you know, it's a lot more open ended and a lot less controlled as a narrative i think Hmm. i like an attempt to try and do it but it's an attempt that feels very familiar if you've ever read anything howard shakin ever wrote then a lot of these story beats feel pretty familiar if Mm -hmm. you've read rising stars these feel pretty familiar man and it
1: was that was almost the killer right there for me
0: Gary Frank is one of those artists who I can take or leave. He's, you know, he, he does attractive women. Don't get me wrong. Power princess looks good running around naked for three issues. <laughs> and, but there's something off putting something alien, something creepy about his faces. Yeah. And here it works.
1: Yeah. Because they here are creepy. Aliens. Because they are creepy. They are crazy.
0: <laughs> you know, it, You know, I had a meeting today where we realized that everyone in the room was creepy, was essentially a minority. And we were talking about how much the clan would like to come in and just wipe us all (laughs) out. And it, you know, it was one of those moments where I look at this series and I kind of feel like that. How, what would Freud say about this? We have exhibitionism. We have multiple personality disorder. We have uh, disassociative behaviors. We have. Uh, a, a very obvious sociopathic behavior, especially in issue 12, mm-hmm. with the first appearances of Redstone. Right. Um, you know, we have all of these twisted, damaged, really badly damaged people. Mm-hmm. We have Power Princess, you know, killing a cadre of cops for Just reasons. Just because. Here. Yeah. yeah. So the obvious, you know, the metaphor that's being drawn here is, these are not your father's Justice League. Yeah. And that's a good start, but I feel like I want to hear more than These Are Not Your Father's Justice League, and I feel like the the closer analogs in Squadron Supreme actually felt fresher to me, felt more original than these not-so-close analogs trying to take Clark and Bruce and Diana and Hal and Barry and bring them into a realistic context.
1: Yeah. Camp says, I'm more of a Marvel than a DC guy, so I was curious about how a condensed history of the JL might play out in a more realistic, that is how Marvel advertises their comics, right, universe. For me, it was a compelling story, which got surprisingly violent at the end, and this is by the end of the third trade, which you and I haven't read yet, or maybe you have, I haven't. There are a few down points that Campaigner points out. He says, issue 11, where JMS decides to start telling the Hyperion power princess origins in rhyme, that didn't really work for me, he says. Uh, the second thing is the treatment of the female characters. I expected more from JMS in this regard because he did an excellent job with his female characters in Babylon 5. The main females get introduced a lot later than the males, and in the infight, they don't even play a role. They're just very disappointing. Overall, I would recommend the comic. One should, however, always mention that this is for mature readers. Boobies galore! That's from Painter. <laughs> i Painter.
2: Will- Curiosity.
1: I think you and I are kind of on the same line, and I kind of in the same boat as campaigner. I, I think the fact that reading this in 2010, you know, ten, uh, after reading Rising Stars, after reading uh, Squadron Supreme, after reading, you know, Elseworlds for a number of years, it all seemed like a lot of of repetition to me. That being said, I still want to find out what happens next, right? I want to find yeah. out what happens after they all decide to band together to fight this homicidal maniac with superpowers. I I want to know, do they come back around and form a team? Do they come back around and get their, their S together? No. Do they get their minds on right? Or do they become, and this is the question I was going to ask you, Matthew, do they become the evil version of whoever they were supposed to be in the Marvel Universe. You remember when we were talking about Squadron Supreme? The Squadron Sinister? Yes. Do they become that? No. They don't? No. Okay.
0: They become something entirely, um, I, I, and you're, uh, well, and this is the other thing. When I also, reading.
1: having also read Incorruptible and Irredeemable, yeah. I was like, oh, is this where Mark Wade is getting his ideas from From this? Is this where all of these heroes going wacky in the wiki-woo are, are pulling from? Because it just seems so, oh, here's that point. No, here's that point. I bet you this is what's coming up next. And three pages later, boom, everything blows up, and that's where we're going. So on the one hand, if you haven't read the series before, it may seem, I don't want to say played out, but it may seem tired. Because you've probably seen this before Familiar. in all these other all these other stories. And well, but you may be tired of that stuff. Uh Definitely. on the other hand, I still think there's something compelling about the story. So I'm going to give at least the first volume a check it out read. This is something that I think is worth checking out just for the aspect of it. Uh probably not something that you want to order. I would bet your your library may have a copy somewhere. Or that you might be able to get it from someone um But as far as a strong buy recommendation, I
0: can't give it that. I would possibly agree. It's an interesting story to read. I think one of the things that really works against it is its long-term relevance.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Because the Squadron Supreme series went basically 18 issues and then there was a Squadron Supreme Limited with Nighthawk, a Squadron Supreme Limited with Dr. Spectrum, a Squadron Supreme Limited with Hyperion, a Squadron Supreme Limited with Hyperion, and Nighthawk. Hmm. And then it was relaunched as Squadron Supreme. Oh, okay. They actually changed the name of the book to Squadron Supreme in its second incarnation. Oh, okay. So at that point, I think it went another maybe nine or ten issues and just sort of disappeared. Well, I think I don't I'm know only really—I even...
1: think I'm only really concerned about these first 18 issues. I want to find out what right. happens at the at the end of the of the arc.
2: Batman dies. What? what? No, no, Batman can't die. Surely he's gotten the Omega effect. Batman dies. He's traveling back through time. He'll be back. He'll be back, Blake. Matthew. He'll be he'll be back. Don't say Blake. that. Don't say that.
1: All right, everybody. All right, everybody. I think that wraps it up for this issue. Thank you so much for listening, being part of the Major Spoilers Experience. This weekend, Matthew and I are discussing the last three episodes of Doctor Who. We'll also be doing a quick review of the Sherlock Holmes movie. Uh, So you will want to download that. Then next week, Rodrigo is back, we think. Yay, we hope. Matthew will continue to be Matthew and wait for it, Matthew, wait for it. Five fists of science 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 that's all next time on the major spoilers podcast thank you so much we know uh, you'll be back because we know you love comics and we do too talk with you then
0: nighthawk
1: if you have any questions comments topic ideas for future shows or would like to sponsor a show send an email to podcast at majorspoilers.com visit Major majorspoilers at majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the major spoilers forum You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com
2: slash majorspoilers. If the X-ray vision of a Superman, I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus as soon as the comic book store got you they kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler what a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven its like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the hard cold To follow an entire storyline would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fun Being the Middle East With a king, Santo throwing soldier what a major spoiler! What a major spoiler! Yeah, yeah, yeah! What a major spoiler! Wow, wow, wow! What a major spoiler!
0: Major Spoilers podcast, copyright 2009.